Hello, I'm Courtney Garrett, and this is the 101 Christianity Podcast. These messages accompany Discovering the Character of God, a 14-week Bible study I wrote on the attributes of God, which is available on Amazon. I pray this message will encourage you as you grow in your understanding of God's character. So inevitably, as I um, prepare for these these talks, three things happen every week. The first one is I think to myself, how in the world am I going to sum this up? It's just about God's love, no big deal. Just going to talk about God's love. And I think, well, I could go here, I could talk about this, I could talk about that. And it is such a huge topic, I get overwhelmed. So that's the first thing, I get overwhelmed. And then as I get into my study, I say, think to myself, this is the most important attribute of God. Every week I think that. Last week I thought, this, truth, truth is the most important. And then I think, love, love is the most important. And then the third thing that happens is that I sense a great deal of spiritual warfare. Because the devil does not want, for a second, for you to have greater intimacy with the Lord. He does not. And so I wrestle with that, and I'm, I'm, a little, I'm getting a little wiser about his tactics. But I, I just know that he would want nothing more than to distract us and keep us from understanding how much, of a, how much he wants a relationship with you that is intimate and is personal. And John Piper, I read, said that Satan's ultimate goal is to separate us from our intimacy with God. It's his ultimate goal. So in whatever tactic that he, he needs to use to keep you from that intimacy that God wants to have with you, he's going he's gonna to use. Said another way, Satan would love to keep you from understanding that the love that God has for you, because when we understand his love, we have so much security and peace and freedom such that we are not nearly as self-preoccupied and then can therefore go out and love others. You know, Satan oftentimes wants to keep us into this introspection and getting kind of wrapped around the axle about our feelings and how we're feeling and just our own circumstances and situation. So think about it. When you get your eyes on Jesus and he fills you with that security and that peace, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about him, and then that is how you can move out. That's how we change the world. We don't change the world by getting introspective. We change the world by living outward. And so I just want you to be thinking about how the devil is perhaps trying to get us off track it, with so many different ways. So each week, my prayer, honestly, is just that my little offering is just a way for us to think more and more deeply about God and his love for you and how he has once an intimate relationship with you. So I, I went back and forth about how to present this today, and I thought, you know what? We just need some scripture to wash over us. And he says it so much better than I could. So we're gonna, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today. I would invite you just to listen, or you can just write the references so you can go back to it. Um, so that's the first part. I'm just going to be reading a lot of scripture about how I see God's attribute of love described in, in scripture. And then I'm going to talk about what it means to abide in that love, what I think it means from scripture. And then lastly, what keeps us from abiding in that love? 
because I think that there's a lot of things that keep us from abiding. So first, how do we see God's love in Scripture? In order for me to talk about that, I want to talk first about how personal God's love is for you. I want to make it clear that God loves the world, right? We know that from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He has love for all that he has created. Every human is made in God's image. He has love for those that he has created. Every person has equal dignity in his eyes and value. But God has a special love for his children. And so it's no wonder that the world goes looking for love because we need it so desperately. But the only way that we experience real intimate love for the Father is if we're his child. And I want to say something that maybe, I mean, you hear it all the time, that we are all God's children. That is not true. It is not. And Scripture makes that very clear. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It sounds really good. You hear people saying that we're all a child of God. You hear it all the time. And Scripture makes it clear we're not all a child of God. We are only a child of God if we are adopted into his family by belief in Jesus. That is how we become a child of God. And so these, these promises of God's love that we see in Scripture are addressed to his children. They are not addressed to the world. This love that we can experience from God is only because of Christ. It is not because, this is not the love that everybody in the world experiences. And we know that in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all God's promises are yes in Christ. So it's because of Christ. And so in the Old Testament, it was to Israel, his children. And then as in the New Testament, we are grafted in as his children through belief in Christ. And so I just want you to understand that this, when, when you read verses, this is not to everybody. This is a love letter to you, his child. And so we need to understand that. And, and then we have that gives us a burden for others to know Christ because they can't experience this kind of intimate love without being in Christ. So this kind of love is personal to us, and it is a special kind of love that God has for his children. Psalm 33:18. the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. That is a special kind of love that he has for you, his child. And even in Ephesians 5:25, where we where husbands are called to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. That's a special kind of love. A husband's love for his wife is a special kind of love for one, one person. That is the kind of love that he has for us. Husbands aren't to love every woman in that way, to his wife. And so Christ has a special love for his church, for his children. So God's love, first, I want you to understand, is very personal. It is personal because you are his child if you believe in Christ. Secondly, his love is everlasting and steadfast. God's love is eternal. We know that because we've studied his attribute of him being eternal. He is eternal in nature. His love is eternal. 
God did not just start loving you when you were born in this world. He has loved you from eternity past, which is mind-boggling. In the Old Testament, we, you maybe have heard the word hesed. That is the Old Testament word for love. And that means kindness or loving kindness. Some of the older translations, if you grew up with the King James, you read a lot about his loving kindness. That is his love. His mercy or loyalty, that is what hesed is. And hesed is a love that is based on a covenant commitment. So there again, as a child, we have a covenant with God, and that is the basis on which that he loves us. It is through this covenant. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him, and this is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the idea of steadfast. You can count on it. You can count on his love. It's not going to change because he cannot change. Isaiah 54, 8, with an everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So God's love is a persevering kind of love. It's steadfast, it's eternal, it's everlasting, and you can count on it. God's love, thirdly, is unconditional. We throw that word around sometimes, but we sometimes forget what it really means for his love to be unconditional, that we cannot earn his love. And our default heart posture so often is, let me clean up this mess and then I will be be approved by God. I will be loved by him. But our love, his love for us, is unconditional. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to clean up our lives before he died for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We need to understand again that God's love is unconditional. There's nothing we can do, and I said this in your study this week, to, to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. That should blow every circuit in your brain, right? We can't understand this love. We cannot... We can't grasp it. It's, it's too good to be true sometimes. But yet that's what God says of us. And even when we see this unconditional aspect of his love in the parable of the lost sheep, that the, you know, the sheep has wandered off and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Did he wait for that sheep to start turning back towards him before he began to go after it? No. He went after, he left the 99 to go after the one. When we see the prodigal son... What was the father doing? He was waiting, looking, waiting. And what is the thing that happens when he comes back? He doesn't say, go ahead, tell me, tell me what you did. He just says, you're here. We're going to celebrate. That is the kind of love that God has for it. It is un, unconditional. We cannot earn it. Fourthly, God's love is unfailing. It is not fickle. It does not give up. Psalm 33, 22. 
May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. His love is unfailing. Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. The idea of that covenant keeps his love. He, 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 has to, he holds up his end of the deal. He tells us. Psalm 36, 7. How priceless is your love, your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. How priceless is your unfailing love. I'm not even going to touch on 1 Corinthians 13, but you know at the end it's love never what? Fails. Never fails. His love never fails. Fifthly, God's love is immeasurable. It has no limit. And this is one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And I want you just to think about this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's amazing, right? How high and deep and wide and long. Now, I could list so many other things. I just started thinking, what are some other th ways that God's love is described? It's transformative. It's redemptive. It's sacrificial. It's all these words. You could just keep writing lists. These were just some of the ones that I, that ministered to me this week. We, we don't ponder God's love for us enough, and these are ways for us to keep reminding ourselves that his love is not like our love. His love is other. And we, he asks us to receive it because of Christ. So what does it mean to abide in God's love? That was one of the scriptures that I had you all look at this week. So let's go there. John 15, if you'll turn with me. And we're going to look at what these verses say about how to abide. John 15. Verses 9 through 12. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is interesting. You all, when you wrote, um, well, in the application part of your lesson this week, there was that correlation between love and obedience. And we need to see that's exactly what this, that these verses are talking about. First of all, he loves us with the same love that the Father has for the Son, which is pretty remarkable because, you know, Jesus is perfect and all. And we're not, but he loves us with that same kind of love. So let that sink in for a minute. But then he says, I want you to abide in my love, and this is how you do it. You abide by obeying my commandments. And what's my command? To love others. And why do we do it? So our joy would be full. 
So I want you to think for a second about how, if you see the Lord as your good shepherd, how do you abide? If you Abide means to remain or to dwell. So you stay close to your shepherd. Now, why do you stay close to the shepherd? Because there are enemies out there that want to, that are, that want to attack you. You want to stay close to so the shepherd can protect you. He's going to lead you to the best pastures. He's going to show you where the water is. He's going to keep you from that rough terrain that is not going to be safe. And so it's just like holding hands with your daddy, staying near. That is how we abide. But he says, you've got to obey me to do that. When you start to wander off, I'm going to say, you're not obeying. So obedience is, is for our protection. And it's so that we can understand another aspect of his love and just dwell with him to, to understand and experience the love that he has for us. And so one of the ways that we're going to do that is by, interestingly, loving others. Like, that's kind of a curveball, right? And this is my command, to love others. Well, going back to what I said before, how do we love others if we're always so thinking about self? How do we do it? I, I, I mean, there are times whenever I get paralyzed because I'm wrapped in my own thinking and whatever. We can't obey God by loving others if we're going inward so much. But if we dwell with our Father, we are in that peaceful, secure, freeing place to where obedience is just an overflow of our heart to love others. And so this passage is kind of surprising because you think that maybe there's other ways that you think about how we were to abide in God's love, but obedience is how he says we get, a, a, how we experience that. And what the, scripture, what the scripture also says is that, you know, we can withdraw from the enjoyment and blessings of his love when we're in disobedience. That's another way of saying it. So, so on a practical level, how do we remain in his love? I think we do that through obedience, but first we have to orient our hearts continually towards him. And this is not rocket science. I'm not going to give you a formula. I'm just going to say things you already know. But let's just, as a refresher, go over some things that help us abide in his love. Reading God's word. Giving him the first part of your day. This is not always easy for me. I don't know if you, all you morning people, bless you. I am not a morning person. I'm just not. An, but I know I need it. I, I, I know I, I really need it. And, and there are days that I, I don't wake up. But, oh, Lord, he, he needs my first first part of my day. He just does. It, it, it made, it's, in this season of my life, I don't have hours, but he needs, he needs that time, and I've got to reorient my heart to him to abide in his love. Just continually talking with him, meditating on scripture, you know, writing, writing verses on note cards. That's like not old school. Like, that is, I mean, that is old school, but, but why is it old school? I mean, everything's on our phone now. Just Go to CPS, get some cards. They have them. They'll always have them. Amazon. Write some promises on note cards. And put them in your car. And when you're tempted to check your phone at a stoplight, how about getting truth in your, in your mind? And again, these are, I'm with you. These are not things like, I've been doing this perfectly for years, and you should too. This is like, I was just like, how can we practically do this? Stop picking up our phone so much. Get a piece of paper with God's words about how he loves you and how much freedom and peace will, will come from abiding in his love and that will change our hearts. Listening, listening to the Bible is another thing that I've been doing lately. Good music. 
You know, setting an alarm on your phone throughout the day to have a rhythm of talking to him. If you're the type of person, like I'm, I live a little distracted right now with my kids, but you know, midday check-ins, just like your, it dings for a second. Hey Lord, let's talk. You know, that, that is a really helpful, helpful thing. So again, it's not rocket science, but if we have lost our joy, we're not abiding in, in the Lord. And joy is a deep sense of assurance. It is not a happy in the heart feeling. It is a deep sense of his presence with you, his love for you. And so if we've lost our joy, we need to think about ways that we can experience the Lord through his word and other ways. Um, George Mueller was uh, a, an evangelist that lived in England in the 1800s, and he was an amazing man. I highly recommend his autobiography. Uh, it's cheap on Amazon, and it may be one of the best investments you ever make. It's, if, you are, if you want to be encouraged in your prayer life, I can't even tell you. I, I can't recommend it more. Um, but he, and he opened up like 117, this is what I, in my research, 117 schools um, to minister to, for Christian education for children and orphanages, and how God provided in those years is pretty amazing. But this is what he says. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims on your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and thirty years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not of its vast importance, but now after much experience, I especially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with him, God himself. What does it look like to have your soul happy in the Lord? That's that joy of just receiving his love and being in fellowship with him and, and walking with him. So what keeps us from abiding in God's love? This past week I overheard a, a younger friend and an older friend just say, I just struggle with receiving God's love. I do too. We all do. And so what keeps us from abiding in him? I mean, obviously there are some things like distraction. That's, that's one. But it, there's deeper things. There is shame. There's failure. A desire for comfort. That's something that can keep us from understanding that he allows suffering and he is loving at the same time. Sometimes we can just get a, a mixed up view of what love is because we think sometimes, well, I've been faithful. Why isn't my life easier? If we're honest, sometimes do we not think that? I've been faithful, Lord, and why are you keep coming at me with a harder thing? We, we go looking for love in all the wrong places, Johnny Lee. Um, isn't it true, though? And you see how the world is grasping for anything for love. Because we all desire that security and freedom and peace that only God's love can give. So we can go looking for love in all the wrong places as well. We're not above that. We do it. And then we wonder why we have lost our joy. 
sin. If there is unrepentant sin in your life and in my life, we are not going to experience God's love the way that he intends. And so we, we turn back to him. We confess. We repent. Our experiences, and it, you know, like I've said before, equating comfort and ease and all things going well with experiencing his love. We just, we doubt his goodness. We do. We don't think he's good. And sometimes that keeps us from experiencing the love that he has for us. So you know what I have come to realize is that, yes, repent of sin. Sometimes you just got feelings. And we don't know where they come from. You wake up with them. You feel in a funk. And you don't know why. And you just don't really feel the love of God. You know what you got to do? you got to boss those feelings around. You get bossy. And I really mean that. I was talking to my husband about this, about just getting bossy. And he said, yeah, you know what you say? It is written. And you fill in the blank. It is written. Last week we talked about God is truth. It is written. That is how Jesus went up against the enemy. It is written. And so when you don't feel the love, you say, Satan or yourself, hey, self, guess what? It is written. I am loved with an everlasting love. It is written that you know the number of hairs on my head, Lord. It is written that no good thing does he withhold to those who walk uprightly. It is written. Keep those words in your back pocket because we got to rise above that, that feeling and, we're not, and not succumb to it and be a slave to it. It's so easy for that to happen. I had it happen this week. So I know that, that we, we feel those, those feelings sometimes. So just say you're not the boss of me and really mean it. Uh, turn with me to Romans 8 as we kind of close. I want to talk about these verses that I was so happy to look at this week just to revisit the power that comes in understanding Romans 8, what Paul has to say. You know, Paul kind of went through it. If you want to revisit some of the stuff that Paul went through, you go back and look at 2 Corinthians 11 about how he had been flogged and shipwrecked and persecuted and hungry and every possible thing. And we come to these verses, Romans 8, uh, verse 31. What then can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And drop down verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 17 things, 17 things. And if there's anything that's, on, that's not on your list, hey, guess what? Anything else, he just says that at the end, anything else in all of creation, anything else you can even come up, the things you can't come up with, guess what? That's not going to stop his love for you. We need to understand when we are going through difficult things, when 
the times when we're most likely to doubt his love, Paul is telling us that hard and God's love coexist. All the hard stuff, all the suffering, his love, it coexists. He went to great lengths to list all of this to make sure that you understand that and that I understand that. Sometimes we just think, where is, is the Lord in this? And you know what? When the day is bright and sunny, it's very easy to say, yes, I'm just sensing the Lord's love. We have to live in the dark what we have proclaimed in the light. And what does that look like for you? I don't know what darkness you might be in right now. We all have some of it. If you don't right now, I hate to break it to you, it's coming. You've just been through a season. You know, everybody says that. You've either been in a season, coming out of a season, going into a season. And that's not to be depressing. That's just real. It's just the, re the reality of living in a fallen world. In this world, you will have trouble. So what is causing you today to doubt God's love? If you are sensing that doubt. Maybe it's a prayer that has not gone, it's gone unanswered for even years. It's a feeling of depression. It may be a wayward child. A discouragement over circumstances that you have prayed to change that have not. Difficult marriage, a strained relationship, an unfulfilled longing, just not even feeling known or understood. All those things can cause us to doubt God's love. But Paul says, nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. And so you tell yourself again, Lord, you are loving in the midst of this muck. Would you help me to understand in a fresh way? Show me a sign of your goodness. Show me a sign of your goodness and expect him to answer. Pain and suffering coexist here with God's love. Pa excuse me, pa pain and suffering coexist with God's love. Yeah, obviously pain and suffering coexist. <laughs> uh, you may have heard about um, a man named George Masterson. He wrote hymns also in the 1800s. And um, when I was um, like, golly, 20 years ago, I lived in Europe for a year. Um, I was working as a dental hygienist, and that's kind of another story. But anyway, I was working as a dental hygienist in Switzerland. And um, oftentimes when, I t when people say, oh, you left there, and I'm like, yes, it was amazing. I traveled, saw the world. It was amazing, whatever. I have thought lately that I often don't go, yeah, it was so cold. And I was lonely. And I missed my family, and I missed my friends. I mean, it sounds glamorous. But I was by myself, living in a tiny apartment, yes, in a beautiful place. But beauty sometimes does not equate with just, you know, I wasn't up in the Alps, you know, like Heidi every day. Um, there were days like that. But um, so I had been there for a while, and um, I did have, it was a revolving door for the most part. But there were weeks sometimes when nobody was coming, because a lot of people did come and visit me. But... Uh, my mom reminded me that a family friend of ours um, had moved to, had, was living in Basel. So I was in Lucerne. Basel's not that far. Switzerland's like the size of North Carolina. So it is like you hop on a train and your place is really easily. So she, uh, we had connected um, and this, let's see, she had said, come on Sunday morning um, to church. And so I said, well, sure. And so I got on a train and got there. And this is before phones and all that. So a map, paper map. 
I'm walking. And I mean, that's what you did. You went to any European town and the train station, you get the map and you figure out and all that stuff. So I had gotten the instructions and I kind of got turned around and the, it wasn't marked really well. And I finally found the church and I got in there just in time to have uh, sing a hymn. And then, then I got there in time for the sermon. I have no idea what the man talked about. No, I mean, I think it was probably good. But what happened when I came in is that we began to sing, Oh, love that will not let me go. And I had never heard that hymn before. And I think that's all I needed that day. To understand that his love will never let us go. And the story behind that, behind George Masterson, is that it was written on the evening of um, his sister's marriage. In year, I might be saying it wrong, Matheson. It's either Masterson or Matheson, just side note. Okay, so he, was, he wrote this on the um, evening before his sister got married, years before he had been engaged, and his, um, he was going blind. And his fiance um, learned, that, learned that, and she told him that she couldn't go through life with a, a blind a blind man. And so he went blind, and while studying for the ministry, um, his sister had cared for him, and now she was leaving because she was going to be married. And he was 40. Uh, I think in his 20s was when um, he, his, the engagement was broken for him. And his sister, just marriage, brought a fresh reminder of his own heartbreak from what he had experienced. And in the midst of this circumstance and intense sadness, uh, the Lord gave him this hymn. And he said it was written in five minutes, and he didn't even have to edit it. You may have sung this song before, and more recently, this song is, is sung to kind of a happy clappy. I would so much want you to listen to it, maybe at some point later today, in the original music that it was sung with, and that's the way that I first heard it. Um, nothing against the happy version. But so often, we're not in that happy place when we need to realize that his love will never let us go. Sometimes we're in a really hard place, and that music, that promise washed over me in a way that I can't even, obviously I can't get through it. But the first verse says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean steps its flow may richer, fuller be. And another verse says, O joy that seekest me through pain. It's that coexist of, of joy and love and pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. I want you to rest today, and the same for me just in that love that will not let you go. It won't. He loves you so much. He will not let you go. And it's such a promise for us always, but maybe you need to hear that today in a, in a new way, that he sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you. Even if you're in that hard spot, he loves, he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed that you would love us so much and that you would go to such great lengths to show us that love through 
giving us your son on the cross. And Lord, we admit we get caught up in our feelings or how we are thinking about something or how we're just feeling in the day. Lord, would you help us to, to change our thinking by resting in your good love, perfect love for us. We, we can't earn it. It is a gift. And, and we just sometimes have a hard time receiving it. So, Father, I pray that we would rest in that love and that as a byproduct, Lord, we would just have a new sense of freedom and peace coming from that love such that we can get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the work of loving others well. I think you want that for every one of us, Lord. And we want just to rest in what it's like to be loved by not just any shepherd, but a good shepherd, Lord. We thank you and we love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For more information about our resources, please visit 101christianity.com. And for more encouragement, you can follow along on Instagram at Courtney underscore Garrett underscore. Let's press on as we seek to know the truth and share the truth.